0: uh good morning everybody and um welcome to milesfield community church my name is how Ron if you haven't met me and um it's my pleasure to bring god's word to you today um just in case you were wondering uh hands and i didn't prearrange some special uniform of uh you don't need to be wearing a special blue collared shirt in order to be holy uh it just so happens that um Imitation is a sincerest form of flattery, and you'll have to decide who is imitating who. Uh, Before we get into God's word, uh, let's pray. And, um, yeah, before we get into a very interesting and very difficult passage, um, if you pray with me. Uh, Father in heaven, we want to thank you that you are good. We want to thank you that we have your word and that through your word that you teach us and you instruct us and sometimes your word is easy to understand and sometimes there are things that are difficult and father would you give us wisdom and would you give us your holy spirit to understand it and accept it as what it is which is you speaking to us today father we want to pray um, uh, we want to pray for me that you would help me to speak clearly and make things um, clear and easy to understand father we want to pray for all the technology all the vagaries of Zoom and the internet and everything else will continue to work and that we can uh, communicate and talk uh, clearly. Father, we want to pray for my brothers and sisters um, here with me virtually and pray that you would be at work in them, that um, Holy Spirit, that you'd be in their hearts to accept your word as your word and to um, receive it and understand it and that all of us would be not just hear of the word, but do us also, in Jesus' name, amen. I don't know if this has been your experience during COVID, uh, but this is mine, which is that I feel like because of COVID, my world has been slowly shrinking. And so once upon a time before COVID, um, I'd go into my workplaces, and you know, one workplace had 50 people, another had 200. But I, you know, remember most people's names and their stories, and um, you know where they were from, uh, what they did, what they um, what they were doing in their lives. I would uh, be uh, there was a work social committee. There was catching up with old friends on the weekends. There was board game nights. There was Bible study groups. I was coaching one son's soccer team, remembering all the names of all the kids and all the parents and all their stories. Uh, I was helping manage my other son's soccer team. I'd be driving my daughter to netball training and trying to remember the names of the parents on the sideline. But during COVID, when all that sort of stuff stopped, uh, my world shrunk and shrunk and shrunk until it was just my house. And it was this room where I spent 90% of the time uh, working online and and there was a 5K radius and that, that was all, that was my world. I talked to my work colleagues on chat chat, but I'd only see them in person once or twice uh, twice a week. My world had shrunk and there were days where I could barely deal with uh, my own problems let alone my children's problems or um, the other things in my family. Can you relate to any of that? Um, COVID, I feel, just has shrunk our world but I did two things that started to help, uh, one is I started to Force myself to get outside the outside the house. So I started taking the dog for a walk, just walking around the neighborhood and seeing the houses, seeing the people. Even if I couldn't speak to them, I could see other human beings. The other thing that helped bizarrely was listening to news podcasts, and the one that helped me the most, bizarrely, was the um, BBC World News podcast because it broadened my world beyond just Australia and reminded me that there is a massive world out there that um, was out there, and so. Uh, you know, there was there was um, problems in other parts of the world that I didn't realise were there, you know, problems with democracy in Hong Kong or um, civil uprisings in Ethiopia or mudslides in Germany. And I, like, and not that those are nice things, but it helped me to remember that the world is bigger than just my own personal problems. And sometimes we need to be reminded that there's a bigger world out there, there's a bigger story, and that we're part of something bigger. And so today's sermon is going to help us think about the world that we live in. It's going to help us understand the context of how we live as Christians and the foundation for our, that our faith is built on. You see, Christianity is multifaceted, right? So on one hand, it is intensely personal. Right? Christianity is about you. It is about your sin. It is about Jesus loving you personally and dying for you and saving you and we learn that this has been part of god's plans and purposes from the beginning and from the beginning of time that he's elected you and he chose you and he worked out all of human history so that you today can know and believe and follow jesus that's one facet of christianity but on the other hand christianity is also about us it's about joining a family it's about experiencing community it's about us all of us standing around a throne by a glassy sea, men and women of every tongue and tribe and nation and culture, and we're worshipping Jesus together. It's about the world. And today we're following that trajectory, right? We're seeing about how we fit in the whole. How do we fit in this world that God has made and his plans and purposes in the world? And so I want to put it to you The Romans is about three things. So Romans 11 is about three things, is about technology works um it's about three things it's about a problem it's about the present and it's about praise and the problem is a big problem we'll spend most of our time there but because it's important to understand the progression of uh, paul's thoughts and because it's easy to walk a long journey when you can see your final destination what i want to do is start with our last point first i want to begin with praise so if you take notes that's where we're going 1.2.3 here we go um so let's start with praise come with me to verse um 33 verse 33 um you may have the heading in your bibles doxology a doxology is a word of praise that gives glory to god there is 101 things we can say about god but today paul focuses our attention on god's wisdom verse 33 oh, oh the depths of the riches of the wisdom and the knowledge of god How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counsellor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay him? For from him and through him and for him are all things, and to him be the glory forever. Amen. God God is so wise but he's just so completely beyond us. Have you ever had this experience where there are people talking about something and you realise that you have no idea what they're talking about? Now, you might find this hard to believe, but I'm actually not very good at maths. I know I might look like I'm good at maths, but I'm just not a very good Asian. Sorry, I'm not good at maths. What happens at work, we do a lot of stuff with 3D maths. And I don't know if you know a lot about maths, um, but it gets really complicated. And here are a bunch of buzzwords that I wrote down, um, stuff that we do at work. We have to go with um, geodetic coordinates, which means latitude and longitude and height. And we have to convert that to ECEF coordinates, which are earth-centred, earth-fixed coordinates, um, which is like having a 3D graph, X, Y, and Z lines, and they come off the center of the earth. And you have to deal with rotation matrices and transformation matrices affine transformations as the list goes on. Um, I don't actually know what any how any of these things work, I just know they exist. But I have a new hire, um, a new graduate that we hired a week ago, and he's a math genius. And so he talks to my head of product and they talk about all this stuff and how we need to be implementing these things in our application at work. And uh, after about the first two minutes, I'm really, I'm lost. I'm sitting there and they're talking about all this stuff affine transformations, matrices, I don't know. And, uh, yeah, I, I don't know what they're talking about. I have a vague grasp of 2D maths, but when it comes to 3D, I'm, it's beyond me. Right, there's, there's knowledge, and there's knowledge. There is wisdom, and then there's wisdom. And what Paul's saying is our wisdom, God's wisdom is so far beyond our own. And we might struggle to deal with maths in three and four dimensions, but God maps out all of reality in 10 or more dimensions and he has planned out the world and he understands all people and all of human physics and maths and chemistry and biology ethics and philosophy and literature and language all of human wisdom and understanding right you could spend a lifetime becoming an expert in just one of those things but god is across it all and so no wonder paul can say no one can understand the mind of the lord Who can even hope to offer him advice? That is how wise he is. And so if you take nothing else away from Romans 11, take this away, God is wise. He knows what he's doing. And we will see that as we parse the rest of Romans 11. And hopefully, hopefully we'll end up in the same place as Paul, which is praising God for his infinite wisdom. brings us back to chapter 11, verse 1. Let's start back at the beginning. In Romans, Paul has a problem. Paul has a problem. Sorry, let me date our slides. Paul's got this problem. And the problem is this. If you look at the first century church, or indeed if the 21st century church, you'd be really tempted. It might be really tempting to say that God is not wise in fact you might be tempted to say well God is fickle he is inconsistent but he does not keep his promises why would you be tempted to think this because of the old testament now the old testament it's a collection of documents for new testament christians but what it does do is it records god's dealing with israel and the jewish people and When it describes God's relationship to Israel, it uses words like choice and election. It uses words like promise and covenant. It talks about God's enduring faithfulness and covenant kindness. And if you recall the first Bible reading, God uses these words to Abraham. He says, I'm making with you an everlasting covenant. And so if God is from the very beginning, he's chosen Israel and he's made, special promises to abraham isaac and jacob uh, to the jewish people to moses to the nation of israel to david to solomon well if you take if you believe in the bible and you take all those promises then you would expect to look around your church and you expect it to be full of jewish people right where are all these faithful people who are descendants of abraham and isaac and jacob when we look at the church we don't see a lot of jewish people i mean there's definitely some but there's not really that many Uh, if you compare it to hollywood there's a far higher jewish population in hollywood than in the church so here's the problem here's the problem the old testament is jewish but the church isn't really and i mean this is this is how paul describes the jews he says um, actually we'll start one verse back in the verse just before chapter 11 this is what God says in ten twenty-one, concerning Israel God, he that's God says all day long I've held up my hands to a disobedient and obstinate people God's hands are open he wants to save Israel but if you look at Israel they're disobedient and obstinate and so we get to 11 verse 7 Paul summarised in this way, well, what the people of Israel sought so earnestly of salvation, they wanted salvation, they did not obtain. They did not obtain. They didn't get it. They wanted it. They wanted salvation, but they wanted it on their terms rather than on God's terms. So they didn't listen to God and they didn't obey him. And so is God really faithful to his promises? Is God really faithful to his promises if all the people that he promised to were not standing here in our community of the faith people who are faithful to God? Well, the answer is, well, yes, he is, and God gives us a two-part answer. First of all, Paul says, well, no, he is faithful, and he's faithful now. You see, he continues verse 11, uh, chapter 11 in this way. Um, What the people of Israel sought so earnestly they did not obtain, but the elect among them did. The elect among them did, but the others were hardened. And that is to say that out of Israel, there's a faithful remnant. I mean, Paul himself might be tempted to look around and go, like Elijah, hey, I'm the only Jew here. But the reality is that God preserves a remnant. He elects a remnant and he saves a remnant. And it's a pattern time and time again in the Old Testament. God punishes the world for sin, but he saves Noah. God punishes Israel for refusing to enter the promised land, but he saves their children who enter a generation later. God punishes the nation of Israel for worshipping foreign gods and sends in Syria to destroy them, but he saves the two southern tribes, the nation of Judah. God punishes Judah, but saves some Jews, taking them into exile in Babylon. And in the story of Elijah, most of the nation rejects God and worships Baal, a false, foreign god. Elijah, he's a faithful prophet of God, but the king Ahaz has started worshipping Baal, the queen Jezebel worships Baal, and it feels like every other Israelite, apart from Elijah, follows Ahaz in worshipping Baal. And that's his cry on one king, right? He feels like, I'm the only one left. But God tells him that reality does not match his feelings and that God has preserved 7,000 who do not worship Baal. Time and time again, we see that even if most of Israel is getting into trouble and rejecting God, God will preserve a remnant. And we know, know, right, that Jesus was a Jew. Peter and James and John were Jewish. The 12 apostles were Jewish. Mary and Mary Magdalene and Martha were all Jewish. The first christians were jewish god saves some he's still faithful to his promises but there's a second part of it god is faithful now but paul has his eye on something even further in the future and he's convinced that god will be faithful in the future and in fact in the future he sees something even more grand and even more dramatic He sees his hopes fulfilled. He sees God's promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and he clings to God's election of Israel as his chosen people. And you can see this hope in verse 12. But if their transgressions means riches for the world and their loss means riches for the Gentile, how much greater riches will their full inclusion bring? And again in verse 15, for... If their rejection brought reconciliation to the world, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? And again in verse 25, I don't want you to be ignorant of this mystery, brothers and sisters. So you may not be considered. but Israel has experienced a hardening in part until the full number, number of the Gentiles has come in. And in this way, all of Israel will be saved. Now, I want to say at this point, now, these verses are controversial, and there's not really a scholarly consensus on who Paul means when he says all Israel, nor is there consensus about how they will be saved or when it will happen, except it will happen in the future. But, in fact, I'm not really 100% convinced that Paul knows exactly how it will happen, but what the reason he writes with such hope is because he knows exactly why it will happen. Come with me to verse 28. In 29, and this is what he says as far as the gospel is concerned, they're enemy for your sake. But as far as election is concerned, they are loved on account of the patriarchs, for God's gifts and his calls are irrevocable. I love that word, irrevocable. It means cannot be revoked, altered, changed. It's unalterable, it's permanent. And that's the nature of your salvation and that's the nature nature of israel's election right? so paul's saying one god's elect israel is elected two it is god that elected israel three god still loves israel because of the patriarchs abraham isaac and jacob and four if god's elected them well his election is irrevocable you can't change it israel still chosen And so Paul can state with the authority of Scripture and with the Holy Spirit that in the future, sometime between here and eternity, God's going to come and save Israel. How's it going to happen? We don't know, but we know why. We know that he loves Israel and he still loves Israel. And so like with many things, we see God's faithfulness in part today because there are Jewish Christians even today right? But Paul's hope is our hope, which is there is a future where God's faithfulness will be revealed in full and he will faithfully keep his promises. Now, now for those of us who are not Jewish, what does this mean? And It means means three things. Well, approximately. Um, First, it means that we need to praise God and his wisdom, right? Because one of the most astounding parts of Romans 11 is this, that um, Israel, uh, some of them are saved, but a lot of them reject God. And that's actually part of God's plan to save Gentiles, which is non-Jewish, People like you and me. I'm going to read um, verse 11 because it's pretty powerful. Right? Notice the word because. Um, he says, um, So do they stumble to us so as to fall beyond recovery? Not at all. Rather, because of their transgression, salvation has come to the Gentiles. In God's wise and his unexpected plans, God uses Israel, most of Israel, rejecting Jesus to bring us to Christ. And it's not what I would have done to save the Gentiles, but then I'm not God, I'm not that wise. And so if you are a Gentile, if you are not a Jewish person of Jewish descent, then we should be praising and marvelling that God would do such a thing in order to bring us into the kingdom. Second, as New Testament Christians, um, we need to think really carefully about what it means to live in someone else's house. Now, if you've ever visited my house, you may be surprised to find out that I'm not a very tidy person. Sarah is the tidy person in our family but me when it comes to to mess i'm more of a conservationist but even though i'm not very good at being tidy i find this odd sort of phenomenon at work which is that if i'm staying at somebody else's house or if i'm staying at an airbnb still somebody else's house i i find myself making an extra special effort to tidy i'll even offer to wash up i'll wipe down benches more than often i'll sweep the floor there's just something to being in somebody else's house, right? You have this extra motivation to keep the place clean. You don't take staying there for granted. It encourages even somebody like me to be better than my usual sloppy self, right? You can't live in somebody else's house with entitlement. It's somebody you don't want, so you've got to take care of it, right? And for us, our faith doesn't start in the New Testament. At 1 AD. We are unnatural branches. We've been grafted into an old olive tree that goes all the way back to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Uh, let me read from you verse 17. Um, Paul writes this, right? If some if some of the branches have been broken off, and you, though a wild olive, should have been grafted in among the others, and now sharing the nourishing sap from the olive tree do not consider yourself to be superior to those other branches. If you do consider this, you do not support the brute, but the brute supports you. You'll say then branches were broken off so I could be granted, granted, but they were broken off because of their unbelief and you stand by faith. So do not be arrogant, but tremble. For if God didn't spare the natural branches, he will not spare you either. And consider therefore the kindness and the sternness of god paul uses this analogy of the olive tree he says well we are unnatural branches we don't belong here and so he makes this he says this to make the point we've got to reject entitlement reject arrogance delight in grace and and embrace the tree I've got this written somewhere. Reject arrogance, delight in grace, embrace the tree. Paul says this is what it needs to be for us as Gentiles in a Jewish house, right? This tree, this house, this church, it's a Jewish house. It's a Jewish tree. So pay attention, be respectful. After all, we've been included through grace and mercy and the kindness of God and any blessing and glory and status that we derive from being part of God's people well, it's nothing to do with who we are, and it's everything to do with what we're being included into. Right? And as Christians, we are the final chapter of God's people that begins all the way back in Genesis and the promises to Abraham. And so Paul says, verse 18, do not consider yourselves to be superior to those other branches. Do not be arrogant, but tremble. Reject arrogance. Delighting God's grace, embrace the tree. Isn't that God wise? Isn't he wonderful? We should praise him. The depths of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who's known the mind of the Lord? Who has been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay them? For from him and through him and for him are all things. So to him be glory forever. Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we want to thank you that you are wise. We want to thank you that you know more than we do that you are wiser than we are, that you make good decisions when our own motivations are so sort of clouded by, by sin and so many other things. Father, we want to bow down and acknowledge that you are wiser than we are. And so we want to trust in your plans and purposes and trust that we can rest in your hands knowing that you know what's going on, even when we don't. Thank you for those of us who are um, Gentiles, not of Jewish descent. Thank you that we've been included into your plans of salvation. Thank you that you've saved us and chosen us and elected us and that our salvation is irrevocable. And, Father, we want to pray with Paul for the Jewish people. We would pray that you would save them, that you would be kind to them, that you would show your mercy and bless them and father we we can stand confident with this with Paul because you are merciful and you are kind and you are faithful and you are wise and so lord would you keep your promises just like you always have and would you save the nation of israel and father thank you for once again for the house in which we stand and the blessings that we get to inherit grafted into all the promises that you have made to your people all through history. And would you help us to look after it and care for it? And, Father, we want to pray all these things in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.